out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be a member of the band Romeo Void because I recently spoke to the guitarist Peter Woods to find out more about life, love and poetry. Um, So you're going to find a lot about his life in music, also um, the band. Plus, just to say that Romeo Void have had a, a live album that has been reissued, well, just issued, actually, from 1980. That was the, when it was recorded live at Mabuhe Gardens, November the 14th, 1980. This came out as part of Record Store Day and uh, is still available, I do believe. Those sell them very quickly, so you never know. Uh, all the vinyl might have been and gone. But anyway, there is still uh, digital download and CDs available. I will give you links to various um, places you could find more information about this release. But to get on with the show, this is the interview with Peter. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. And also just to say, Peter is, and you'll find out, is <laughs> in Japan. Um, so sometimes the connection is a little bit hit and miss. Mostly it's hit. So um, anyway, it's all good stuff. Um, so anyway, Peter, tell us more about your early musical life. So I'm 10 years older than you. I was born in 54, okay? Wow. All right. I can do so, the maths. I can do the maths on that. Yeah, one. I've told this story a million times, but I'm glad to tell it again because it it is my awakening, my origin story. And what happened was I was nine years old, about, and Sunday night the Ed Sullivan show came on. Have you ever heard of that show? Oh yes, Ed Sullivan. Okay, and guess what group was on that night? The, the Beatles. Beatles. <laughs> and you know every other guy with a guitar has told this story, but. I was just, it just rocked my world, as they say. I was yeah. not really listening to music before that. I wasn't that interested. And that night, it was just, it was a transformation. A lot of, a lot of kids my age were transformed that night. Yeah. And I remember the next, the next Monday morning at school, everybody was just going, oh my God, did you see that? What, what was that? They, they looked so weird. And, but the music, and it was, so from that moment, I was just, um, it changed me. Yes, it and definitely changed. It did, what, really so, did, yeah. So what did your parents, did your parents have any kind of music playing on in the background? Um, or were well, they- My father was a singer, actually, and he was kind of a big band singer, briefly. So Sinatra was kind of in my radar, I, sh- I should say. And I remember my mother had some, do you know, have you ever seen a 78 disc? Yes, yes, 78. Were, okay, this is before, okay, the techno, I mean, you got. Got to remember the technology, there's. And um, I remember she had this Sinatra 78, and it was so funny, I remember the title and everything, it's called The Sunshine of Your Love, think about that. I used to play that over and over. So I developed this sort of love for Sinatra very young, and that never left me either. So, but that, but I wasn't really listening. Uh, I wasn't focused on anybody. Like Elvis was, you know, my, I remember my brother had an Elvis single or something. And I thought, you know, it was okay, but I just interested. And then that night, I just, it just, and then a friend of mine in the neighborhood, we got guitars and started, you know, learning these songs. And that's when I started playing guitar was from that, right? Yes. So how did you, whereabouts in America, whereabouts in America did you grow up? Northern California, a town called Redding, California. Right. So did you, uh, at that stage, did, did, as the 60s started to progress then and you saw the Beatles, did you Mm. sort of just become immersed in everything that sort of started to come out in the charts from the the sort of the stones to the kings to the who to the of course know. all of that because radio it was on radio right so it was on am radio top 40 top 40 radio in that time was unbelievable yes the quality of of the music coming you know it wasn't um homogenized and corporatized at that time so, yeah, you're getting the kinks and the stones and the animals, right? These are top 40 hits. And it's like great music. 
that was an amazing time, right? To be listening to radio. Yeah. And did you, all, and how did you, because there's always that generational kind of gap that goes on, isn't there, in life? And often, you know, parents who yeah. possibly mm -hmm. liked, you know, people like Elvis and Buddy Holly and, you know, they sort of went, yeah, this is, you know, we're all cutting edge and, you know, I upset my parents with my music and then they get to that <laughs> age where their kids start playing something, you know, like the Beatles or the right. Beatles and they get horrified and suddenly, without admitting it, you know, become kind of weirdly conservative. So did how did your parents cope with suddenly seeing these long-haired guys from... Um, from yeah, it's funny. My parents are really immersed in the 40s, really. My, my I'm... You know, my parents were older when they had me. So their musical references were like 40, like Sinatra, you know, and standards and big band and kind of the middle of the road pop that was coming out that time. But my mother, uh, mostly I'm, my mother wasn't um, skeptical or condescending at all about it. She was very open minded. Right. Some yeah. of the parents. Yeah, go ahead. I was yeah. going to say, when you said big band, did they like people like Glenn Miller and... Yeah, um, that stuff, right? Yes. And the, because... war, the wartime music was, you know, they're the war, you know, World War II. That's their sort of reference, right? Yes. My well, father I... was in World My father was in World War II, so... Well, I was That's where say, they're coming from. I was going to say, because I grew up in a village in, in sort of East Anglia in England, mm -hmm. and we had a, a Second World War aerodrome, and there, there was probably about, I don't know, 20, 30 oh of these gosh. American, there were the Air Force bases that were sort of eventually, you know, populated with Americans that all mm -hmm. came over, thus that, you know, the friendly invasion. So everybody has these stories <laughs> of the, like having two or 3,000 Americans in a village and that kind of impact it had wow. those five, you know, five years, four years. So did your parents or did your dad, did he sort of serve time in the UK at all? No, I think he was more of the Pacific theater around there. He wasn't in Europe. Right. So he wasn't there at all. So. Yes. I just wondered because we had people like James Stewart who sort of served in a place called New Yeah, Jimmy Stewart was a bombardier or or pilot of a B-52 or something like B that. Right? Yeah. yeah, so he was he was in a village which was like 10 miles from Metfield. You know, right. Old Buckingham or New Buckingham. It's one of the Buckinghams. And then there was people, yeah, there was a lot of American actors who sort of came over and did a bit of time. But I think James Stewart or Jimmy Stewart, he actually was the authentic one. Whereas a couple of oh, others... Oh, yeah. Just, just yeah. hung about, but we had Glenn he Miller who, who who played around the you know the bases of East Anglia. Yeah, was very excited if they'd seen him. So I just wondered if if that if they had that kind of um, culture embedded in their life. So where did you just? Yes, I know. I love the Second World War <laughs> stories, by the way. Um, so how did how did you get into? How did you get a guitar at this stage in the sixties? So in the sixties, I got an acoustical guitar, right? very cheap one <laughs> that eventually broke. I finally got a, my first proper guitar was a Yamaha called FG 180. But uh, so I was, I, I played acoustical until I, about 20, I don't know, 25, 26. I never played electric until basically the time of the, the band, right? Right. The Romeo Floyd, yeah. There was a band just before that with Deborah called the Mummers and the Poppers. That's when I picked up guitar, electric guitar for the first time. I'd never played before. So it was, uh, I was learning as I was doing, you know. So what was your, what was your first gig you went to during that sort of, was it in the 60s when you were still sort of a teenager or was it kind of in the 70s you went to your first? My first big concert was um, Leon Russell in San Francisco. Oh, it so cool. and that was my first sort of big, you know, great sort of musician. I'd of course in in my town there was all these rock bands playing all the time, but my first sort of big show was Leon Russell. I remember it very well. In yes. uh, I think it was it was in Berkeley Community Theater. I'm not. I'm, it was in Berkeley, uh, and I was just you know it was exciting and just. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing or hearing, just the, the quality of the musicianship. It was quite amazing. I mean, yes. So did you start getting caught up in the in the interest in an 
bizarre world of the counterculture, as well as being in San Francisco <laughs> with their kind of performance art people like the Coquettes. Did did that start to come well, into I your consciousness? Well, I went to UC Berkeley. Okay, so I went to UC Berkeley in the 70s, right? Um, yes. So I guess that was my counterculture. And it was quite, it was a real culture shock because I was from this small town in Northern California. And now I'm in this world of ideas and hair and all this stuff. So, um, and marijuana was sort of big at the time. Yes. So uh, that was my first exposure to kind of worldly things, I guess. Yes. Um, and, and what was the kind of impact? Because you would have been 16 when you got to 1970. I've done the math there in my head. Thank you. <laughs> did you? Did you? Did you? Because you'd obviously <laughs> seen the Beatles and then Stones and then that kind mm, of transformation mm, yeah. with the psychedelic sounds with Hendrix and the Grateful mm. Dead. And then there was, you know, the Doors and people like that. And then the mm. 60s finishes on a bit of a downer, doesn't it? When Brian Jones dies and then Hendrix, Morrison, and Joplin all sort of pass as well. And you go, oh, I'm 27. Mad. Yeah. Right. So, so, so what was it like when you sort of went into the seventies? You know, you were sixteen, seventeen, and you went, "Blimey, that that ended on a bit of a." Well, the seventies was sort of, you know, it was a, it was a bad time for music. It had become, I don't know, it lost its edge. It lost its purpose. It was kind of homogenized. Um, I was always playing guitar and singing. That was my thing. So I I just did my thing in when I was in school and I lost my partner I was kind of playing by myself a lot and just um doing what I wanted to do uh try and I was writing songs at that point right and performing them yes so had you so become a, that was sort of my musical world, yeah. So were you becoming a singer, an acoustic singer-songwriter in the sort of Paul Simon James? Yeah, trailer? exactly. That's what that's what it was. That was my sort of image of being in music was, you know, Paul Simon or something or Neil Young or something like that, kind of acoustical um, singer-songwriter thing. That was what I was. My image. I yeah. I never ever thought that I would be playing guitar, electric guitar in a rock band. It was just, it was just not something was even in my imagination. Yes. So, so, so it, that happened, that was just a random event, right? That just, it just happened. I didn't ask for it. It, came, it asked <laughs> for me, really. So. Yes. Well, I guess, and also you could play guitar, which is quite good. So during your kind of teens and twenties, um, did you yeah. go to university or college in, the, in that sort of period, you know, up to sort of... Well, yeah, I was at Ber UC Berkeley. I, I went to UC Berkeley four right. years okay, and then. got a degree. What did you study? And then uh, English literature. Nice. My God, you were such a serious student, weren't you? Yeah, I was. So again, yeah, I have... Yeah, so to be a sort of, you know, past or... I've always been a student. You know, when I, I, I was working on a master's degree at San Francisco State University when I had to quit to go on tour with this band. It was, you know, I was a student. And uh, <laughs> again, the, I wasn't expecting any of this. It wasn't a plan. It never was a plan, right? No, no, absolutely. It, it happened. That's the thing about this band. We never planned anything. We just... We got together and we were writing songs and we enjoyed it. And then we found a drummer, Jay Dara, by the way, I want to mention him. He's on the, the record and he's finally getting his due. Um, right. He's on. The, yeah. And I, I want to mention him because uh, a lot of stuff happened where he was kind of put aside for some reasons, but it's nice that it's gone full circle and he's getting his due because he deserves it. And it's really nice to have him on this record. Yes, but, well, absolutely. Yeah, but anyway, so we were, um, we just wanted to play. We had no other goal than to play, play music. That was it. Yes, because in a bizarre so way, 
Because I said in yeah. a bizarre way, when you formed in 79, you would have been 25 at that stage, which is almost quite old for a, a sort of a young up and coming <laughs> band, isn't it really? You know, because because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I remember doing an interview with a guy called Richard Strange from the Doctors of Madness, who was about 25 when punk hit and he said oh we were just over the hill but when he was a bit you know he'd started in the early early 70s ish and he said you know he was they were quite punky so all the people who came to see him you know were like the Sex Pistols and the Clash and various other bands they they were quite young kids and they all formed you know punk bands who became very famous and by the age of 25 when when it suddenly oh punk is now caught up with us it was a bit like kind of we're we're just like the old men in the room. We we're sort of too, you know, we can't really be part of the scene, even though he'd helped create it. So yeah, 25 for a band is 25. Is, wow. I still I felt young. <laughs> Especially <laughs> well, now we look back on it and it's incredibly young, but then you know, you just it's again that's what it happened at 25. That's I what again, I was not planning any of this. It it just happened that I was playing guitar electric guitar right and so yeah it was 25 <laughs> there i am so how forming did you meet, a band how did you meet the other members of the, of the band okay so the story again jay dara the drummer we, we're from the same hometown so we've known each other for a long time and one day he he came to me and said well there's this group of people are playing some cover songs and they need a guitar player and would you like to try out? And I said, okay, sure. And I didn't even own an electric guitar at the time, okay? And he goes, well, you can borrow one. <laughs> so I went to this place, this rehearsal basement kind of place, and they lent me a guitar. And that's where I met Deborah. It was, the band was called the Mummers and the Poppers. It was a cover band of like 60s and uh, R&B and things like that. That's where I met her. Yes. And I literally picked up the electric guitar that first rehearsal i'd never played before really and it was uh it was a little scary i thought i don't know if i can do this but i guess i did well enough and that yes. if i quickly bought an electric guitar after that so and were you kind of the most That's right, Dora. yes yeah, and were you the most competent musician in the band at this stage because of your sort of been playing since the 60s well I had a, a good solid background, you know, in uh, playing songs, writing songs. Uh, so I don't know if I was the most competent, but I was good enough. And th so that's that's where I met Deborah. OK, when yeah. that band broke up, I was so I, I was out of music. Basically, I wasn't I was going to school. I had no sort of plan to play music. And she just called me up one day and said, oh, I'm working with this bass player. We've written some songs and we'd, we need a guitar. Would you like to try? And that's how I got together with Frank and Deborah. They just asked me to come and play with them. Yes. Um, and Jay so was again, that was, ran it was a random event. I wasn't expecting it. It was just a phone call. I showed up yes. with a car. <laughs> oh god well then you, you're definitely going to be in the band aren't you at that stage yeah i'm in the band because i have a car right i can haul gear <laughs> you've, been, you've got you've got you've got more you've got multi-purposes here so then yes, you, so, you, exactly. so did you start playing live quite quickly and sort of developing very quickly yeah we found yeah. our first drummer before jay and we just started gigging this is before we didn't have band on the sax at that time right we were just the the musical side was just a three-piece bass guitar and drums and Deborah singing. Yeah. So this was the original band. And we just, yeah, we just started playing around because there were so many venues in San Francisco at that time. Everybody was making a band. It was do it yourself, right? You know, make your songs, play, right? So well, there were lots, lots of places to play. And so yes. we just played. We wrote songs, we played. We wrote songs, we played. I know. This is and all then, very yeah. exciting. So then November the 14th, 1980, you record this live album, live from the Buhay right. Gardens. Right. So, so can yeah. you remember much about that? What was the venue? What's so special about this venue, by the way? It's kind of legendary. Um, it was a lot of bands played there, some famous bands, right? Uh, punk bands at the time, a lot of them. Uh, Black Flag and things like that, just 
tons of bands. It was so it became very it's famous. If you Google it, you can just just look at um, you know, the the roster of bands that play there. It just I for some reason it became this the place to play if you were in that genre, right? Yes. I, I, I think it was a it was a rest it's a it was a restaurant and they opened it up at night as a club or something like that. It was pretty funny. So it was this funny little place where everybody wanted to play. I I I don't really remember that night, honestly. I uh the guy Terry Hammer, he was recording all these bands. I don't even remember being recorded, honestly. Yeah. Till it came. And then one day I was going on YouTube and I saw um, he released about three three shows that we did. And I was like, what is that? And I just started listening. And it was like, it was like listening to someone else. <laughs> it was very <laughs> strange. The ones, there's one song I had no memory of at all. Uh, it's called Fine Line. And I just don't remember making it or playing it or anything it was it was like vis visiting yourself from another dimension it was very strange feeling yes so it, i don't remember it honestly i don't remember it um, so 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 coming to the full you know circle and the present day i mean was it kind of quite a surprise when this album was going to get or has been released for record store day you know sort of brought out as a uh is it a limited edition sort of i don't know how many copies well it's a there's a limited vinyl edition of it, right? Right. Um, and then I, yeah, you know, it's of course, it's of course, you can get it streaming and CD and all that. So, but there's a limited vinyl, which um, I, I don't. I guess you don't have it. This, this is it. This is it. This I'm, is, I'm glad they gave you a copy. God, that's so nice. Yeah, they gave me. They gave me ten because <laughs> I'm special. <laughs> yes, God, that's so nice. And has it been? It's, has, has ooh, it been, vinyl, it's really cool. Has it's, it been? Has just, it been in? Oh, let's have a look at your blue blue vinyl. Check that out. That is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It? it is gorgeous. I mean, don't yeah, put your fingers I, on it. God, that is good. I yeah, know. Thank you. Um, do, do you have a but it was player? a big surprise? No, I don't. I can't play this. <laughs> I, I'm in. I'm in the. Uh, the 21st century. I know we just like to stream things. So what was it? You have a. You, go ahead. I yeah, said ahead. Um, no. We don't have a CD uh, record player actually, which is a great shame. I don't. I don't have one, so I don't know if I'll ever bother. But did you? I mean, so has the interest of the band been a bit of a surprise to you? Have you been like thinking, oh, this has been? You quite mean like nice. this record? Yeah, this record? and just and just the yeah, curiosity like, oh, with what? Romeo Void because obviously I, the one thing I've noticed in yeah, this I show there, there this was is 43. 43 years ago. I mean, think, um, I got an email one day from from uh, a guy named Arnie from Liberation Hall Records, right? And he emailed me, he said, um, we have access to some ta these tapes and we, we, we would like to make an album out of this and release it. Would you be interested? It was it was just out of the blue, right? Yes. And and, uh, and that's why I can't, you know, we got in contact with Deborah and Frank and they got on board and... Uh, and then it just started going from there. I know, you know. And then suddenly so it was a total surprise, total shock, right? We haven't released material in you know decades. Yeah. So, but then, so once you've done that live recording, this is when you were minus Ben on saxophone. So the band kind of shifts in the key quite smartly, doesn't it? Because suddenly you get well. This, this record has been. This is. I mean, we made sure Ben was Ben is on this record. Okay. Right. He had just. He just joined at that time, so he's kind of feeling his way into the the sound and trying to find you know the right places to play and the right tone and the right you know just everything you know, to to fit into the the rest of the band. So it's a really um, beginning stage of what we were to become. It's 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 a snapshot into this very young band that's not really you know it's not we haven't sort of found our our sound yet we're we're searching we're we're working on it we're it's a work in progress right so it's kind of interesting in that sense yes so when you then sort of decided ben was definitely on board with the saxophone and the sound starts to slightly change again going yeah. going going towards the next year and the next album it's a condition 
did did the rehearsals take quite a different turn of of, of kind of ways of working to sort of put that you know your debut oh album yeah together? extreme um but you know at the time of this recording we 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 had not made any sort of record deals or anything we didn't know uh that we would eventually make a record but the, the producer is David Kahn on It's a Condition. That's the first album, okay? Yes. He went He went on to be, you know, he's really big now. But he was, you know, not well known then. But anyway, he's very hands-on about production. So when we started rehearsing with him, it was, it was, it was a shock almost about how, how much work he thought we had to do to, to get this to sound good. Yes. Uh, This is, I think this is the story of a lot of bands. You go in the studio, you just can't hide. You have to get it right. And so he was very hands-on about getting the arrangements, the parts and the sounds. So it was really uh, just a learning experience. Yeah. From just this band, this band that's just playing in clubs and, you know, finding its way. And then this guy going, OK, let's get serious now and we got to record this. And it was just a you know very different experience. Yeah, it was it was very it was difficult, but I learned a lot. And it was like it was like boot, musical boot camp, just <laughs> because his standard is very high and, you know. But it was interesting because, you know, in the UK, this is kind of simplistic. You know, there'd been that punk period and then post-punk with some kind of interesting bands like Magazine and Gang of Four and Public Image Limited. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and then sort of as, as the 80s progressed in the UK, you know, we had things like, you know, the new romantic stuff that started to appear. And then sort of indie pop that sort of, you know, the Smiths came along in 83, which kind of created quite a sound. But your sound was quite unique, wasn't it? Because it blended a certain amount of kind of a jazz funk kind of vibe alongside sort of this kind of indie sound. So, you know, you must, did you get kind of excited at this stage with the sort of direction of the band? Because it was quite a, it did have a good sound It does, and it still sounds good Thank today because it doesn't sound very, you know, like yeah. some music from that period does sound very dated, whereas this had that, that kind of, I suppose the sax sound does give it a... Yeah, that really, when we when we added Ben, it really changed the dynamic. But we have, all four of us, you know, the, the, the songwriter, the musicians, we brought a different sensibility to it. For You know, everybody had came from a different sort of background. I was really sort of pop Beatles and Deborah, you know, is it Patti Smith? She loves Patti Smith and and Frank likes the Stones, but he's also into this, you know, alternative stuff that I really wasn't listening to at the time. And then yes. Ben comes from a big jazz background. Okay. So it's an amalgam of all these different influences that happily sort of came together into a, a sound that became our sound. So we're fortunate in that sense of having all of these influences to to uh draw from so that's yeah. what you're what when you're hearing us you're hearing that all of these all of these sensibilities coming together and har- and in a harmonic way and a respectful way you know we all listened to each other and it was it was very exciting when ben joined it was like the missing piece of the puzzle and it was like okay this is it this is this is gonna work because before ben we were, there was this kind of empty space i'm not in a I'm not a lead player. I'm a rhythm player. Okay. That's my thing. And we're missing that element and we were trying things. And then finally, when he came in, it was like, Oh, that's it. That's a, that's the sound. We we found it. Right. So it, it was, uh, it was really fortunate to get him. Yes. But obviously then you follow it up with this kind of EP, which has the single never say never. Can you remember much about that, the recording or the writing of that song that sort of, became that song oh yeah that's a that's quite a story um it almost didn't get recorded for that ep it was it was an accident really almost what happened was um we had i think we record we recorded the three songs i think there was a fourth okay so it's four songs and we were done it was in synchro sound in boston with reco cassick okay And, and we were done with the ep recording we moved all our equipment out and we did this last show at it's called 
spit in Boston. It's a club that we're uh, played all the time. Anyway, so we played a show there before we were about to leave and we played all of the songs we had. They asked for an encore. We didn't have anything except this jam. And we, it didn't even have a title at the time. That was Never Say Denver, but it was just a jam. Uh, and so we played that. And the producer engineer, Ian Taylor, had happened to be in the audience that night. He heard that song. And after we got off stage, he said, oh my God, you have to record this. So we, they packed all of our stuff back into the studio and the next morning i know it's crazy the next morning we recorded the song so that's it, the song was written on the road at sound checks basically right there you go so it was kind of pieced together uh, gradually but when it really wasn't finished at all until we recorded it and they it's an edit of just playing the different sections so that's what happened. It almost didn't get recorded. Oh my God! I know that would have just, that would yeah, have it's a, just a very happy accident, right? Because you'd you'd been initially you'd been on four one five records, and then mm -hmm. for the next album you're on Clear Columbia Records. But did you right? Start, did you get quite a lot of interest from labels as they started to uh, as as you started to get noticed? Yeah, the EP really brought us to another level, and that's when we got all the big label interest yes. in uh in the band and at this stage so that, were, that was really pivotal yeah and i was i was going to say you you you're, you're sort of moving through drummers quite fluidly here aren't you <laughs> yeah that's sort of the story of this band the drummers that come and go it it's a yeah it's but we were blessed with good drummers you know jay dara and then larry carter and aaron smith so, so we yeah, I was, I was going to say, how does that kind of influence the band when you suddenly have this new member who's the drummer, which is quite a major moment of a, holds this kind of holds. Oh, it, band it's together. really a strong influence on the sound. Uh, so for the It's a Condition, the first album, uh, it's a guy named John Stench. It was David Kahn's sort of drummer guy that he always used, and he insisted on having him for the sessions. So he has this very tight, meticulous sound, and that's on the album. And then. Uh, after that album was over, we had to get a drummer to play live. We didn't have one. So we got Larry Carter and he's this kind of big rock, you know, smashing the, you know, the, the skins kind of guy. He's got this huge sound. So that really propelled us in a, in a very sort of different direction. And that ne Never Say Never is the ultimate sort of, um, sound of larry carter on the drums he's just like it's a huge big drum sound and it really you know propels the song so there's that and then aaron aaron smith brought another sensibility to it he was you know he's he he played on with the temptations right um so he's, right. he had this r and background so that, that brought a, a little a different sensibility fluid fluidity a di just a different kind of drumming style so they do influence you know when you're playing live it's yeah it's completely you know it changes yes well i know david bowie would go you know use a lot of drummers and i know he did one oh yeah he did yeah dennis davis who played on quite a few of his in the sort of um late 80s including low and he just has a particular sound which is just incredible and a and a, and a vibe and a, and yeah a rhythm which is stunning so when you came to record the second album what was the kind of writing process before you went into the studio did you were you sort of coming together as a sort of a band jamming to sort of get the material together or were you beginning to sort of take different roles with that well generally how it would work is uh, frank would have a a song idea like a bass line that he liked, or he sometimes even a keyboard, I think sometimes he would. And then, and then we would, or I would have an idea and I would bring it and Frank and I would work out if, if, the, if it sounded promising, we would work on it and develop and make a, just a very uh, basic recording of this idea and then hand it over to, to, to Deborah who would, who had a book of she would, she had a book of lyrics she was always writing lyrics and she would sometimes just refer to lyrics she had written if it if the song kind of 
sparked that idea or she would write original lyrics it, it just depended but basically it was like that and then after she got it we would all sit around and sort of work on the melody and the singing and the verses and and the choruses and like that it, so it became sort of a a, a refining process and yes. that's kind of how we wrote things Some, but sometimes it's just it's just a on the road like never say never was just sound checks Somebody has an idea. I, I started doing that guitar riff, right? I just started doing it. Larry Carter, the drummer, just started playing with that. Frank comes in with this amazing bass. So that was just very spontaneous. So it, it depended, but generally it worked like that. Yes, that's interesting. Because you worked with Ian Taylor for the second album, but then when you did your third album, Instinct, you were back we with We went David back to David Kahn, yeah. What we went back reason? to David Kahn. What was the reason for that? I well, I know my reason for it, but I don't I, I can't speak for everyone else. But my reason, I thought I kind of wanted more. I thought we'd been done kind of big, big drum jam kind of songs. I, I wanted to go go to more. I don't know, more listenable kinds of. I, it's hard to describe, but just uh, I, I want a little different take on the band. In, that, that's my feeling about it. I wanted to get a, a more a stronger sort of song sensibility going. Yeah. And in my mind, and I guess the others, it's David Kahn was the right guy for that because he's he has a completely different sensibility than the, like the EP and that album. Yeah, right. He's he's really hands on and. Uh, you know, it really works on arrangements and things like that. So I guess we felt that that was probably a good direction to go. Yes. Cause, cause and I think it worked out for the most part. <laughs> yes. Because, with you know, a lot of bands, they have that kind of five-year narrative, don't they? They get together at the 12-month honeymoon period. And uh, <laughs> in this country, you know, we had the great John Peel, who'd sort of give you a play and possibly a session at the Maid of Elle studios with Del Griffiths. <laughs> you know, he was in Mott the Hoople. He was the man who sat there in the studio for quite a lot of it. And then, you know, get around the, you know, the UK and their little transit van doing gigs. And that was all good. First album come out, that was quite nice. Second album, people are, you know, learning what to do. Sometimes the third album can be the tricky one. There's when people have been together for a while and, you know, everyone's getting a bit tense with each other. And, you know, there's also sometimes a bit of a lack of money after all this work. What was it like coming into your kind yeah. of third album, Instincts? At that stage, because because it had been five years, hadn't it? You'd been together. Well, you just described it is is really uh, accurate. I, <laughs> were you there? No. Yeah, there's this time where you're, you know, you've been on the road and you're, you know, you've been with these people for a long time, and yeah, there's a fatigue that sets in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and it, it's a business, and there's cbs wants you to produce hits and it, it really changes the dynamic right you know it's about now we have to like make hit songs it was that we were never about that you know and so that kind of pressure it changed everything okay yes so that that album was i honestly that wasn't a happy time at all it was it was difficult there's all this pressure, right, to, um, I don't know, get get on the radio and be a, you know, a, a, we were, I don't, we were never that band, right? Yes, I know. To, to me, the ultimate, the ultimate um, take on our band is that EP. I think that is our statement because we did those songs, we arranged them, nobody touched we did that all of, they just recorded it okay to me that's the ultimate expression of what we were about and th that to me is romeo void that that is after that it became more you know commercial pressures and all that and it changed us and i honestly probably not for the better yes I just, it, so it, it was more okay, it's professional rock time, right? And that's not what we were for about that, right? So that EP to me represents the best of everything we were about, you know. 
Did you, yeah. I mean, because some bands I've sort of asked, you know, about that, you know, their final album, you know, did they know it was going to be the final <laughs> one? And sometimes they say no. And then sometimes it was a bit like, yeah, we knew, we knew this. Like was Abbey like Road, album. right? The Abbey Road <laughs> album. <laughs> so, so what was it like for you? Did you think, you know, God, let's just get through this and that, that will be it? Or did you sort of I, think it? I don't know. What the, again, I can't speak for the other members, but for me, it was like, I don't, I don't see, I don't see this going anywhere after that I was I was kind of out and I thought this is going to be it I couldn't see going on and also that you know Columbia just was just was kind of done with us anyway so I I don't think there would have been even if we tried to stay together I'm I don't know Columbia was kind of out Yes, that was it. I mean, you were, you, you were sort of perfect. I mean, actually, sort of, uh, for me, you know, between 83 to 87, which is the years of the Smiths, was kind of a perfect time for sort of the sound that you'd created, actually. But then, you know, every band has to have stamina, doesn't it? And the Smiths only lasted five years, but another band who, well, you too, just can't stop. But I think they... <laughs> They 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 come from a different world, don't they? Of, of resilience and sort of perseverance, whereas most bands. That's funny. We played with you. We played with you too quite a few times because when they came to San Francisco, they um, they liked us and asked us to open for them several times. So we got to kind of know them. It was interesting that you mentioned them. Yes. Well, yeah. We have this history with them when they were just you know starting out and. Um, it was very exciting to watch them. Yeah, because I did an you interview know, with a member. Stage, of, they were incredible. Because I did an interview with a member of the Pylons. Were they the Pylons from? Georgia? The Pylons, yeah, from Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, I and I think, that, and they got they got offered the support you too, and they were going, "We don't want to support you too. That's not what we're into. We're we're into sort of much more interest in art rock, you know." And I think they were furious. We with loved it. It was it was a great. We had a ball, right? I, I mean. They were just kind of new and they were, uh, th their live show was unbelievable. It was incredible. And I was watching them and taking notes, you know. Uh, I, I wanted that sound. Uh, it, watching uh, The Edge right play, it, it changed my sound. <laughs> Literally, I just, <laughs> I, I remember one night I just looked at his pedal board and I was taking notes. Like I, what's this guy using? And I, I got a couple of pedals just from him. <laughs> <laughs> and so yes. um we had a great time with it bono was really nice there's great guy really friendly and welcoming and he didn't have any rock and roll attitude it was it was it was just really fun right yes did you watching them live i learned a lot you know it's like how to play a show right was, i would imagine so that was a they knew they knew how to do it and they're going to be in vegas soon aren't they at the sphere playing this new venue which is are, are they going to go to vegas are they going to vegas that's right. yeah they're playing well there's a new venue that's just been built in vegas called the sphere yeah. which is a massive massive space but it's it's not just a normal venue it's going to be an art house kind of show with lots Amazing. of projections yeah. so um that will be weird you know and um there you go so so when <laughs> so one there's the, the standout track on the album it's a girl thing can you remember how that came together I'm sorry. I, I you, said your uh, uh, yes. The connection just dropped. I said that one of the tracks, the standout track on the album, it um, a girl in trouble. How, can you remember writing that and how that came about? Yeah, I think everybody has an idea of how that song came about. But I remember driving in my car, thinking about this chord progression in my head. That, that a lot of my stuff came from driving in my car and starting to hear um, sort of chord progressions. That's and so I remember bringing this chord, the basic, duh, it's, a, it's a, in a minor key and it just bounces back and forth. I remember bringing that to Frank and, and we just started developing that, um, that cho basic chord progression. Right. And, uh, and we recorded it. And I remember playing it and we played it for Deborah and she liked it and she started working on it. And and at the time, David Kahn, the, the producer, was, you know, we, we gather, getting our material together to make the album. He heard the recording. He started adding his sort of 
two cents to it. So he's all over that thing. Um, yes. I think Frank doesn't have a happy memory of that song. It, um, he was, and so he's he's credited as a writer on it. And um, he, in his head, he heard the hit single that, and so he just just massaged it and recorded it and redid this and redid that, and it just became this sort of monster, this Frankenstein monster song of all these you know, parts. Um, but it, it started like that, you know, just sort of Frank and I putting this thing together on tape and then him hearing it and then adding to it. And it, that's how it sort of yes. developed. And the second track, Just Too Easy. What was oh, your, yeah. What was, can you, can you remember the kind of how that song came together and, and the sort of the lyrics? Well, you hear that guitar, the, the riff, you know, the guitar riff, it starts out with mine uh it's you know it's funny uh, you don't some you just don't remember the actual writing of a lot of the stuff but i'm sure it was the the again the basic process I, i'm not i you it would be nice to ask frank did he come up with the bass or did i come up with the guitar i don't really remember yes. but i remember i came up with that riff Da, 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 the minor it's a d minor right i came up with that and it might have started from that i honestly i don't remember the actual writing of that song and when the when the album came out did you tour it at all or was there just almost like the zombies? oh yeah we oh totally toured yeah we did a we did a european and i think american tour we did okay. our first european tour off that right we did you know we did UK, we did Germany, we did Sweden, Italy, France. Yeah, we did. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we really pushed it. Yeah. Yes. And then what what happens once you, you're, the tour is done? How, is this the kind of the end of the band at this stage? It was the end. I remember the very last gig we ever played. I think it was in Germany, maybe. But I remember nice. playing it. And being on stage and going, I think this is the last time I'm going to play with these people. It was a very strange feeling. Yeah. Um, because at that point in my mind, I was it was sort of over. I, I I went to law school. I don't know if you know that, but I I had already applied and I was set to go. So I was it was over for me. And uh, so it was a strange feeling. I was in Europe. I think yeah, I think it was Germany or mm -hmm. England. It was either England or Germany. But um, and I was thinking, wow, this is the last time I'm ever going to play with these people. Yeah. And uh, but it 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 later it wasn't the last time because we did this TV show called VH1. This channel has got the um, bands reunited. So I actually years later got together with them again. So it it actually wasn't the last time. But at at that time, I thought it was right. Yes, well, so, it's, it it kind of was the the last time, you know, in a in a yeah, proper the way. Last, the the kind of the last um, waltz, right? Can can you remember? <laughs> can you remember the moment that did you all sit down and have the discussion, or did you just stop turning up? No, we you know we weren't talking very much. It, it you know what I always um, compare it to a divorce. We had we had a the marriage got sour, we had a divorce, we had a and divorce. Yes. the parties weren't really talking anymore, right? We were we weren't sitting in the same room, you know. It was one of that. So no, there was no talk. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knew, everybody everybody knew it was kind of the end of it. We just sort of knew. Yeah, we didn't have a talk. <laughs> so 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 if one had walked into the dressing room of of Romeo Void. Mm -hmm. An uncomfortable atmosphere. Would you? Would you say? I don't know. I think we we had enough respect for each other that you know we carried on and we did our shows and we were professional about it. And you know what's really 
something nice is we've all come back to have a great love and respect for each other. We're, we're communicating a lot. You know, what's great about, you know, the 21st century is that you don't have to, you know, drive over to somebody's house to sort of interact and, and be in their their world. You can do it through all of these social media things. It, so we're, it, it's sort of, it's so much, it's funny, this record sort of brought us all back in each other's orbit and we're you know following each other on instagram and we're emailing each other and it's really come full circle yes well also so sorry yeah but but i'm just saying we we've come together again it it just this great um fondness for each other and you know remembering all the good things that we did together so i'm really glad that this this album came out because it just brought us all together into this sort of common purpose again. Yeah. So well, also, it's, a, it's a good end of the story, right? It is. Well, it is a good end, but with it, I was just going to say the other thing that happens in life that you can never think about when you're that young, or you might have an occasional passing thought, but in a shot, in a bit of a rock and roll show busy way is that as we get older, you know, we all start creaking, don't we? And I, I noticed <laughs> that the last couple of your parents getting older and then that's like, oh, yes, I didn't think yeah. of that when I was 20. Um, but you're you're also, you lost two members of the band in the last couple of years, didn't you? Yeah. And then Ben. Very and that, and um, yes, that's a little bit of a, oh, perhaps I can put aside. I mean, you know, I'm not saying you did, but. Well, it just, it makes you, you know, you, you literally think about mortality, right? That's, you think about you're not here forever. It's it's um, undeniable, right? It We're is, all it, mortal. It is that spinal tap moment. That's the end of everyone's story. No one gets out alive, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, it really sort of gives you pause to think about, you know, the people you love and the ones you want to remember. And yeah, that was that, that was bad, right? We, yes. Yeah, we lost. Larry and we lost Ben. Did you did you get a chance to speak to either of them towards the end of their lives? Well, it's for again, the, you know, having social media this really is is so wonderful the world we live in. Well, we so Larry and I, the drummer, um, we were communicating through Facebook a lot, and um, so I, I reckon, you know, it. When he left the band, it was kind of not on good terms with anybody. It was kind of sad. But we came to, uh, you know, uh, reconnect through Facebook, right? And I actually, I, I sent him one of the uh, song I had written and recorded on just uh, on my phone and sent it to him. And he sort of processed it. And it was, it was really kind of a fun sort of exchange we had. So I reconnected with him. And... Uh, with Ben, it was sort of too far at the end where he was not even able to communicate. Right. You know, he he had he got Alzheimer's. So I was communicating with a, a this nice woman who was watching over him. And so I it was kind of I communicated with him through her. So again, that was kind of a comfort to be able to know that we were connecting on some level. Yes. You know. So but that's quite a quite an amazing sort of feeling. Yeah, I know it's it, it does happen, and one does get slightly sort of like humbled by the experience. And obviously, mm-hmm. yes. So did you just briefly then? You went to law school so you could focus, which is a quite a good thing, on something completely different to music. But also, yeah. probably find yourself having to pay attention and do various. Yeah, I get crack the books again. That was quite a. Shifting gears. <laughs> so that was your the all thirty. So then, did you sort of did you put was that your career for the most of your adult life for a while until I couldn't take it anymore? Uh, yeah, it was my career for a while, and then I, it's like a band. It's sort of a bad marriage, a bad marriage <laughs> with your career. So I ended up. Uh, I just sort of left the field because it just wasn't doing it for me, and. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I have an English school here, oh, so I ended no. up. My wife is Japanese. I, I don't know if you know that. So no. Um, yeah, my wife's Japanese, and my kids are half, obviously half Japanese, and so we we made a decision to just come here and, you know, try out 
an English school. It, it went it went way better than we expected. So I I was only going to be here for like three years. It ended up, you know. <laughs> 20 but, <laughs> but, and, you and know that's, again that's the story of my life you know you make plans and then the universe tells you something else you know <laughs> yes absolutely well that, that's great and do you still I mean you did just say you mentioned you know playing guitar but when did the guitar appear back in your life again during that um it time? never left it's never left um I have I can see here's my there's my red guitar there. There's my, you know, Yamaha there. And I have a Martin over here. I never stopped. Right. I still write songs. I still I do it. I, you know, I just don't go through the whole process. Yes. Um, I never stopped. It's me. You know, this is what I do. It's like breathing. You know, I it's. I play guitar, I sing songs, I write songs, I sing the songs I love, you know, I, I, it never stopped. Yeah. It's, in fact, was... in some ways, I'm a, I'm a better guitar player now than when I was in the band. I just, you know, but I play acoustical all the time, right? Because you can't play electric with by yourself. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, was, in a sense, say... I'm a better guitar player than I ever was, just... Sometimes I wish I could go back and redo things, um, you know, that I've already recorded. Have you? But, won... uh, no, it never left me. Never left me. Right. It's interesting. I so played you... today. Today I played. Right. I played guitar today. Right. <laughs> just before, just before this interview, I was playing around, working on a new song. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, I mean, on that point-ish, did you feel with, you know, this live album coming out and then sort of as we all get older, we start wanting to archive our stuff. Is, mm. the, is the material for the band, has that all been nicely archived and packaged or is there plans to sort of bring out some complete box set with nice sleeve notes? I I think this is, I don't know. I mean, there are some other live shows that I wish... There's a live show on on uh, YouTube that you can find. It's again the Spit in Boston, or I think it's Spit. It's a live show that were recorded in eighty. I don't know, maybe eighty three. I'm not sure the date, but we re it, This is when we just had all of all of our sound correct right right we had yes. a great sound man louis that louis beast and the sound guy so everything was in place and if i had a, a wish it was to to release that as a uh, again as an album because it's it's really representative of what we became you now th this this record is what we are you know started as our our in our infancy yes. and this is the mature sound of the band where where everything is sort of in place and sounds how we want it and i if i had a wish it would be to get a, a live album out of that so as far but as far as other recorded material i i have no idea i don't i don't know how much there is left of yes. anything have you ever sort of thought of putting your solo work acoustic solo work on Bandcamp and just putting that out there for a I don't even know what what is Bandcamp. I don't even know what that is. I what I is that? What, I think that's what all all bands and musicians use now to sort of put their you know records out. So uh, Bandcamp. You so need to, I don't know anything. You need to Google Bandcamp. I'll check it out. I'll check out Bandcamp. I don't even know what it is. So it's it's uh, yeah it's it's it, apparently and everyone said it's the it's the good guys unlike Spotify. It's where you know people can buy the music for sort of you know a dollar and i think the musician gets most of the money so it's not like going to give anyone an income but it's a way of being able to um make sure that you, you know a the music's accessible and yes i don't know i wouldn't i don't think people do it for money but it's a way that people can get paid a little bit and some people I you see. rely on it a bit more so Bandcamp is the one that everyone i'll uses. check it out do I will check it out check and it out. um you you'll be like <laughs> you'll probably find got that, me a new career Thank yes, you. Yes, this is. I wondered if Romeo, <laughs> actually, Romeo Boyd could be on Bandcamp. I wonder if they are. Romeo Boyd. I'll see if you, I see if the band's on Bandcamp. Then you okay, go. that would be nice that would to be, know. 
Romeo Boyd on Bandcamp. It's so funny. It was, um, I think you are actually, yeah, you are on Bandcamp actually. Okay, and what does that mean? <laughs> well, I'll, <laughs> I'll send you the, oh no, I can't send you a link, really, no. I really um, don't know any of it. So, I'll check yeah. that out for sure. Yeah, so put in Romeo Boyd Bandcamp okay. and, and yeah, then you'll, but then you'll realize that's the platform that everybody kind of uses to sort of put their music yeah, out. Yeah, so, I am not. I am not um, aware of these things. Yeah, so you can you. you can buy the new career. <laughs> yeah, so you can buy on Bandcamp. You can buy the digital album for nine nine dollars and ninety nine cents, or buy the oh. CD for fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents, and there you get it. So, and then and then they that have sounds a, like a good deal. It's very good. Do we do the new this thing? What, what are, you, are you talking about? This new thing or yes. This guy, okay. That's wow. on. I'll that's check it. Who check it out? There you go. You're you're all. Thank God they gave me free ones. Ten free ones. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. I've been giving. I gave them out to a bunch of friends. It was real fun, right? To uh, did pass them out to your friends. These. Oh yeah, that's such a nice thing. These so, these documents of your your past, right? Well, so, that's nice. That's I mean, good. you know, let's let let's face it. When things often when things happen straight away, you know, one's a bit ambivalent. But then you appreciate a lot of these things a bit later on in life with experience. Yeah, you're, yeah. It's really a nice sort of cap to the whole thing. It's a, like a return to the beginning. It is uh, absolutely. And again, it was a totally unexpected. You know, you know, I wasn't thinking about ever having an album again. It was. It just came out of the blue, and so it was. It was nice, you know. We're yes. not worried about selling a bunch of records and getting on the radio, and it's just none of that, right? It's just, oh, isn't this nice? We can release one more document of the band in, in a very sort of um, a nice way, right? Yeah. Without I mean, all the pressures, of commercial top forty hits, all this stuff, right? You just just doing it. For the doing of it, doing of it, if that's a word, you know. It, probably. But just last question. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your like 16-year-old self starting out, you know, and you thought, oh yeah, there was a couple of things I've learned, or little kind of ups and downs. Is there anything in particular that you might have thought, yeah, I wish someone had told me that when we started, or when I started, not perhaps not just in music, but just in life in general. Is there anything in life? Well, what I learned, what did John Lennon say? Uh you um you what is something like you you make plans and then you know the life happens to you and all of those plans just go away right so th that's sort of what i've learned is that you can you can make plans and goals but life and random events have a way of just taking you in a completely different direction so that's sort of what i've learned in my 68 years of being on the planet you know yes and you get more i guess i you get more relaxed about you know what's coming what's next basically i just try to stay as healthy as i can uh i exercise a lot so i and i take supplements and i do all this i just want to feel good i want to be able to do things i want to do so um i i feel physically I'm pretty in pretty good, you know, good place physically, mentally. And I have these senior moments, but I try to get those in check. It's sort of <laughs> funny, you know, sometimes yes. you're, you're searching for a word and you just can't find it. And just, it's, a, it's really funny. So oh, I nice. have these senior moments and I'm like, where are my keys? Where are my keys? You know, <laughs> you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're 58, I guess. So you're going to start having these. Um, it's pretty funny. Well, I, I get it with names Incredible. sometimes and, and a, a band. Yeah, it's weird. Who, who was that band? They did that, right. you know, that that kind of thing where I'm sure in the older days that would have been just there in your mind. You think, oh, I can't remember it now. Shoot. Perhaps that's that's the start. This will but, happen more frequently, unfortunately. I'm looking forward to it. But but like you, I'm I'm obsessed with health and fitness. And I just ran That's great, yeah. You want to last last that. week I ran the London Marathon as a virtual Oh thing. my god, good for you. So, um, and I'm, so, I, what, I do. How many, what is it? How many kilometers is that? Like 25 or something? No, no, it's 26 miles, which is, I don't 26 know. 26 miles. Wow. 
Yeah, that's so um, that's like thirty something kilometers. Yeah. So, wow, um, good, wow, that's really good for you. But you have to keep fit. Keep don't doing you? it. Just got to keep doing keep, it. You got keep to doing it. it. Don't stop, right? Do you wait? That's the thing. Well, you learn. You just you, you make it part of your life, and it's a habit. And you just don't stop. Yeah, I don't yeah. stop. I did my exercise today, right? It's just it's my thing. So yep, I'm good for you. I'm the same. Yes, absolutely. Keep, keep on keeping. <laughs> keep on keeping. Yes, or keep on rocking in the free world, as Neil Young once said. Yes, so, right. There you go. Yeah. But look, Peter, thank you ever so much for this. This has been amazing. I'm glad we got this together. And I'll um. Yeah, I really this- enjoyed it. Thank you yes. for all the great questions and listening to my <laughs> spiel. I really appreciate it. It was yeah. a lot of fun. I thank you. No, and thank, thank you, for you as well. And yeah, no, it's been great. And look, that's been brilliant. I'm going to have breakfast now. But look, thanks ever so much. Have a lovely day and enjoy. Thank you. Just, um, I know this is being English, is it? Because we've got a bank holiday today because it's May the 1st. Bank holiday. I've, I've heard of those, yeah. Do you have Well, a- right now we're in a thing called Golden Week in Japan. It's called Golden Week. Yeah. And it's kind of an amalgam of different sort of um, historical things in japan so it becomes a week so i'm off today so the, the timing of this is perfect okay oh, day off yeah, yeah it's called golden week you can look it up if you want I'm, if you're interested I'm going to look golden week up yeah, we so. both we had a we had a mutual holiday so the uh the the stars were aligned nice well have a lovely full moon i think that's this week yeah, so thank you go. so much for this i really enjoyed it Take care and look Thanks at band and look at Bandcamp. You'll you'll enjoy it. I will definitely check that out. Yes, yes. definitely. You'll, you'll, it'll be your new friend. Take care and have a lovely day. Okay. Thanks a lot. See you later. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 And that, dear listener, as if I needed to say, what well, is the end of the interview? A massive thank you to Peter Woods. Forgive me the time for that. And as I said, Romeo Void have got a new live album that's just come out. That was recorded on. Uh, November the 14th, 1980, live uh, from Mabue Gardens. Do check it out. That was part of Record Store Day. Also, it's available as a CD and digital download. It does sound fantastic, so do check it out. And go to their Bandcamp page as well. I will give you the details in the link below. Anyway, this is the C86 Show. Oh, yeah, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. Keep it positive and groovy. All these have been archived on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, and possibly some other places. Anyway, this is it. Have a great week. Stay safe.